0: Good morning, New Morning Life family, and I'm glad once again this morning to be able to bring the word of God to you on this Sunday morning. Uh, Something I haven't said in a little while that I want to say to inspire you and encourage you is something that we used to always say here in the church, and if you can remember it, say it along with me. This joy I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. I am thankful for what God has done. What God is doing and what God will do. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be encouraged and not let anything that's going on in the world take your joy away. Your joy shouldn't be determined by what people say. Your joy shouldn't be determined by what you see in the media. Your joy shouldn't even be determined by your physical affliction. Your joy should always be determined by the joy that God put in our hearts. And that joy is a light that inspires other people's light to shine within them. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, I have a word from the Lord. And I would like to give you this word from the Lord that's coming from 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 15 through 24. Once again, that's 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 15 through 24. What I want us to keep in mind before I get into this passage of scripture are six characters. This passage of Scripture is not a common passage of Scripture that most ministers or pastors read, especially to the congregation, because of how the Lord is portrayed. But what I want us to do is focus on these six characters in this passage of Scripture that will allow us to really be able to hone in and see what God is saying. I think there's a word from the Lord in this passage of Scripture. And we're going to glean from the text, and and it's a lot of text that we will be reading, but I need us to stay focused. Get your pen and paper out. Write down these characters to focus on what thus says the word of the Lord. Remember this story. This is a story, as I said, that isn't often talked about. This is a story, as I said, that ministers don't often go to because of how God is portrayed in the text. But nonetheless, we will take on the task of going through this text and seeing what God has to say. Remember, this is... 1 Kings chapter 22 verses 15 through 24 the first character that I want us to keep in mind is King Ahab in the text he is referred to as the king of Israel then we have King Jehoshaphat then the 400 prophets Micaiah the prophet that's Micaiah not Micaiah not Micah none of that that's Micaiah the prophet we also have the Lord And then the deceptive spirit. These are the six characters in the text that we have to stay focused on. And I don't want you to lose sight of what the text have to say. So go with me. The Bible says, when he arrived, that's Micaiah, the king, the king, that is the king of Israel, also known as Ahab. When he arrived, he said, ask him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth, Gilead, or not. Attack and be victorious, he said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hands. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to me to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, All right, all right. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without shepherd, and the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad. Micaiah continued, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne with all the multitude of the heavenly host standing around him on his right and on his left. And then the Lord said, who will entice King Ahab, into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there. One suggested this, then another suggested that. And finally a spirit came forth and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all the prophets of yours. Let me read that one more time. I wanna make sure you heard that loud and clear. It says, so now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearing and reading of this word pray with me lord we thank you for having this time to be able to come to you and examine your last will and testament father god i pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight and i pray that the people that are listening be able to take something from this text to be able to see you in a different light to be able to be challenged by what's here in the text and truly be able to understand just a glimpse of your glory your grace and your all-powerful countenance. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, I came to preach to you this morning about a deceiving spirit. I came to preach to you this morning about a deceiving spirit because there's a lot of anxiety anxiety around our health and well-being right now. With this pandemic going along, going on, there's a lot of emotions around the decisions to reopen businesses like they did on Friday. And with all the unrest, with all the confusion, with all the worry about our health, this is fertile ground for being deceived. But before I get into that, I want us to remember the six characters of our story. Remember, we had King Ahab. Who is referred to as the king of israel we have king jehoshaphat of the southern kingdom we have the 400 prophets we have micaiah the prophet then we have the lord and the deceptive spirit now as i always do in true fashion i have to give you the context in which the picture of this text fits into so before we got to this passage of scripture what's going on here in the text is that king ahab also known as the king of israel has decided to overthrow Ramoth Gilead now Ramoth Gilead is a territory that is rightfully under the northern kingdom of Israel however I guess they aren't paying respect to the king so he feels as though he needs to go down there and show them who's boss because he's not getting the respect he needs he says he's going to overtake this area and it's really through his arrogance and his greed that he feels as though this place is rightfully his. so instead of going there. By himself to do it, he pulls in one of his constituents. And one of his constituents is the king of the southern kingdom, King Jehoshaphat. Now, King Jehoshaphat, he asks him, he says, will you go with me to uh, claim this territory of Ramoth Gilead? And King Jehoshaphat says, king, my people are your people. My chariots are your chariots. My horses are your horses. My soldiers are your soldiers. He says, let us go. But he says, before I agree for us to go to Ramoth Gilead, let us consult the prophets. Let us get the Lord's blessing. If you know anything about the Old Testament, kings couldn't go to war without the blessing of a prophet. They couldn't go to war without understanding if it was in the Lord's will for them to go to war. But as you can see, King Ahab didn't really care about that. Because he had been king for so long and he had been ruling things for so long and doing things his own way for so long that he didn't respect God the way he should have respected him. If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat asking for approval from God, he would have went to war without him. So Jehoshaphat asked for the prophets to ordain this, this, this military campaign. And so King Ahab gets 400 prophets, and they tell him to go to war. They tell him he'll be victorious. However, Jehoshaphat still feels as though there's something wrong about this. He says, is there at least one more prophet of the Lord that can tell us something? And King Ahab says, yeah, there's another prophet. But I don't really care for him too much because he never has anything good to say. But King Jehoshaphat says, well go and get him and we'll hear what he has to say so what the king does is is send a messenger to micaiah the prophet and the messenger before he gets to the king tells micaiah that the other prophets have given a favorable report so he says since the other prophets have given a favorable report it is in your best interest to also give a favorable report for this military campaign now i don't know what Inspired Micaiah to say it. Maybe it was the power of the Holy Spirit But in that moment he said I can only say what God called me to say I can only do what God calls me to do and while he's behind closed doors. He's crunk for Jesus He's all gum ho for Jesus He's only gonna say what he's called to say and only gonna do what he's called to do However, when he gets in front of the king and the king asked him shall he go to war? This is where we find ourselves in the text He says Go to war and be victorious. And the king has to correct him because he knows that Micaiah always has something negative to say. And that's when Micaiah reveals to him that it's God's plan for him to be deceived. Brothers and sisters, I came to talk to you about deception. And I came to talk to you about what it truly means to be deceived. Deception means to be misled. Deception means to be tricked or to lie. The root word of deception is deceive. The etymology of the word deception means to take or, or, or to take from. But nonetheless, to get a better understanding of deception, we can understand it by when someone deceives us, they take a little bit of the truth. They add it to a lie in order to draw us in. But that always in the end takes something from us. In return, Let me say that one more time. Deception takes a little bit of the truth, adds it to a lie to draw us in, but always takes something in return. Some of you may remember this story of my neighbor's dog that I told you, but I'm going to tell it one more time because this is a story that I like. My neighbor has a, a very small pit bull terrier, and she keeps this pit bull terrier in her backyard. Now, she doesn't walk it. I never see her outside playing with the pit bull terrier. But nonetheless, it's her pit bull terrier, and it stays outside. It's not a house dog, in her opinion. It's a yard dog, so it's always outside in the yard. Now, unfortunately, we had people that were scoping out our neighborhood for dogs and stealing the dogs. So what they would do is they would come to people's houses. They would look to see if they had dogs, and if they had dogs, they would have with them doggy treats. And what they would do with the doggy treat is they would feed the doggy treat to the dog to win over its trust. Now, the ironic part about this is that they would start feeding the dog doggy treats and start showing the dog attention. And typically they chose dogs or typically they chose animals that uh, were animals that were seeking attention, that had been devoid of attention for long periods of time. So when they come with treats and a smile, they would be happy. They would be excited. And what they would do is they would come with the treats, maybe spend a few moments with them, and then leave. And then they would come back again, and they would have nice things to say to the dog. They would smile at the dog. They would pet the dog so the dog would get used to their touch. And then they would leave. And then they would come back a third time with more treats and more smiles and more hugs. Except this time they would take the collar of the dog. And when they took the collar of the dog, the dog wouldn't even realize it because it would be so happy because its new friend had come to see them again with more treats. And then the thieves would leave and then they would come back again, this time with treats, the collar, and the leash. And they would take the dog, get it over the fence somehow, and the dog with little resistance would go with them. Brothers and sisters, this is because these thieves, these dog thieves, took the time to analyze animals And see the fact that certain ones of them in the neighborhood were devoid of attention and they were seeking attention. So what they did was appeal to their emotional needs. And brothers and sisters, what I want you to realize and brothers and sisters, what I want us to stay focused on is during this pandemic, we're in a vulnerable, emotional place. And sometimes people can take advantage of us. Sometimes people can deceive us by catering to and exploiting our emotional needs. You see, brothers and sisters, this doesn't just happens with dogs. This happens with us. When we've been devoid of love, when we've been devoid of attention, and someone comes in our life and tells us we're beautiful, tells us, or tells us nice things, or spend time with us in ways that no one spent time with us before, or if, some, or if a new job comes in our lives and gives us more money than we ever had, sometimes we can be exploited on our job, through our relationships, through our friendships, just because someone's showing us attention in a way that we've always wanted. And brothers and sisters, there are times... That you and I are easily deceived when someone exploits our emotional needs for personal gain. Now, I don't often talk about politics, but this Sunday I'm going to talk a little bit about politics. And I feel as though somebody, somewhere, you all may know this leadership, is exploiting our emotional needs for political gain. But brothers and sisters, I came to tell you this Sunday morning, do not be Deceived. Repeat after me. Do not be deceived. You see, during this pandemic, our leaders are in a position where they have to choose between saving the economy or preserving the welfare of humanity. So now they're stuck in this balance of, do I care about my constituents that make a lot of money, that own these corporations that aren't able to make money because people are sitting at home? Or do I actually care for the people And allow them and warn them and have them stay at home until we actually figure out a cure for this. So we're kind of hanging in the balance. But brothers and sisters, we can see what they value based off of where they put their focus and based off what they're having us do. We know that this past Friday, things have just opened up. But brothers and sisters, I was listening to some things and some statistics that Keisha Lance Bottoms, our mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, pointed out to us. And she pointed out that it's amazing that Georgia was the last to shut down because of the pandemic, but now is the first to open. There's certain criteria that Georgia is supposed to meet before it can begin to open up and start these different phases. I found out that Georgia or any state that's supposed to open up its doors or that's supposed to begin to open up its uh, doors for businesses, they're only supposed to be able to do that if for 14 days they have shown a decrease in the amount of people that have been contaminated by the virus and that have died from the virus. But brothers and sisters, Keisha Lance Bottoms, she's told us that Georgia death rates is up 14 percent. And that we are looking at people that are facing positive, it are, are, are labeled as positive carriers of the virus, and that is up by 7 percent. So we don't even meet the criteria. Nonetheless, we're opening up. It says less than one percent of Georgia's population has even been tested. So, brothers and sisters, when we're looking at this disparity, when we're looking at how our government has to choose between economic security or the security and health and well-being of the people, we realize we're in a predicament based off what we're seeing in our businesses and, and our state being opened up what they really care for. Brothers and sisters, I hate to say it, but it seems like Michael Jackson said they don't really care about us. Did you all know that the majority of people being impacted by this virus now are minorities, more specifically African-Americans? And isn't it also quite ironic that the number one minorities that are being impacted are African-Americans, but the first businesses that have been allowed to open up are fitness centers, Bowling alleys, tattoo parlors, barbershops, hair and nail salons, and massage parlors. Now, isn't that a coincidence? Now, brothers and sisters, if they had added in their skating rinks, I, I might've let it go because you all know I love to skate. But nonetheless, I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to notice the breadcrumbs, the, the little doggy treats they've given us along the way. Look at the fact that they gave us a stimulus check on Monday, put some money in our account on Monday, then Friday, they start opening up businesses for us to spend that money. They didn't open all the businesses. Notice what businesses they didn't open. They didn't open the golf courses. They didn't open the country clubs. They didn't open the tennis courts. They didn't open the tanning booths. But what they did open are shops and businesses that cater to minorities. Minorities that have been shown as the most impacted by the virus. Brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. Don't lose sight. Don't be deceived because remember, first Timothy uh, 610 tells us for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to pierce yourself with many pains. We don't want you to have to go through any type of sickness or ailment just because you're trying to race back to normalcy and get money or just because you're trying to adorn this exterior body we have as a shell. Brothers and sisters, we need you to not be deceived and stay home. We need you to not sacrifice your health at the expense of wealth. I'm going to say that one more time. Don't sacrifice yourself your health at the expense of wealth don't be deceived brothers and sisters first kings is an example of the power of deception however this passage of scripture is not preached that often because this description that they have of god is 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 not one that people typically like people don't like the idea of god being the one sending a deceptive spirit People don't like the idea that God was the one that set up King Ahab to uh, fall at his demise. But brothers and sisters, you have to understand the historical context of 1 Kings. You see, 1 Kings is a book that was supposed to be a continuation of 1 and 2 Samuel. It originally was one full book, but they broke it up into two books. This is where you might want to take notes. 1 Kings is a book that talks about the unified kingdom of King David. David was one of the first kings to unify the 12 tribes of Israel into one kingdom. But what first Kings does is show the lineage after King Solomon of how all of the kings were not faithful to God. And what first and second Kings does is show us how after Solomon's reign The kingdom of Israel is broken into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Remember, northern kingdom is King Ahab and the southern kingdom is King Jehoshaphat. And they're broken into these two kingdoms. And what First and Second Kings is, is the book of the Bible that goes through the history of the kings of Israel and how unfaithful they were to God. Brothers and sisters, remember how I told you God is a little bit petty. And I want you to remember that because what God is trying to show the people of Israel is that every time you put your faith in politics, every time you put your faith in kings, every time you put your faith in man, they will always let you down. But I will always prevail. I is our Lord and Savior. I is our God. And if you can remember in 1 Samuel, Samuel was known as a judge and Samuel was also a prophet. And one day he came to the Israelite leaders and they told him that they wanted a king. And then Samuel was offended. He was upset. So he went back to God and God told him, don't feel bad because they don't reject you. They reject me. But he says, you know what? I'm going to let them be get themselves a king. They're looking at all these other nations They're looking at all these other tribes And they're looking at other people coveting what they have So i'm going to let them fall to their own demise And i'm going to show them that every time they put their faith in someone or something other than me They will fail So what first and second kings does in the bible is show a timeline And a lineage of all the failures of the past king and past kings And what it basically is is god showing you look This king failed, that king failed, the other kings failed. And every time you put faith in politics, every time you put faith in kings, every time you think you or your leaders are in control, they will fail. But I will prevail. Brothers and sisters, you have to understand why God is setting up King Ahab. King Ahab is someone who God just doesn't like in the Bible. He doesn't like him because he is leading the Israelites away from him king ahab specifically set up uh, altars in the high places as the text said to worship baal and asherah and as you know the 400 prophets of baal were killed by elijah and when he killed him king ahab was very upset and that's when he began to start having this bad reputation with the prophets and specifically in the text we see how he has a bad interaction with uh the prophet Micaiah. Uh, uh, King Ahab was also not liked because his wife is Jezebel. Now we know Jezebel is a name we use for people that we think are promiscuous or people that we don't think are respectful. Jezebel was someone in the Bible who was Bible who was a liar, a cheater, conniving with lying, steal, and kill, and do anything to get her way. And this is King Ahab's wife, and God is not only displeased with him, but he's also displeased with his wife, and he's tired of his reign. So, brothers and sisters, what God does is take his greed and allows his greed to get him to the point of where he is deceived. King Ahab is greedy. He's trying to acquire more territories, as we saw in the text. And what God is trying to show him is that, brother, you're not in control. I'm in control. Brother, you think that you have have just defied me and nothing's going to happen. But God sits back. And he deceives his prophets and tells him to go to war just so he can fall in battle. Brothers and sisters, what I want us to take from this is that God sometimes uses our greed to teach us a lesson. He used King Ahab's greed to destroy him. And brothers and sisters, I think we're at a time in our politics. I think we're at a time in our world where America's greed has spoiled us. And it has spoiled us into thinking that we're in control. And you can see by our leaders, our nation's leaders trying to grasp at a semblance of control by mandating when we're going to open back up, when we're going to stop having um, all the different rises and spikes of the virus. We keep trying to grasp at control. And what God says is what God is showing us is that we will be in this quarantine and in isolation until he says we are done with. And brothers and sisters, what I really want us to see and what, us, what I want you all not to be confused about is God is in control, not our leaders, not anybody else. Brothers and sisters, don't be deceived because God is the one still running things. A lot of um, pastors and a lot of people have issues with this text because it talks about how the spirit of God was sent into the prophet's. And they had a deceiving spirit because a lot of us like to deal with God on His good side But we don't want to deal with God on his bad side If any of you at home are struggling with this I want to give you a passage of scripture that paints a full picture of God and I want you all to be patient with me with this I want you all to watch this with me that if we're going to worship God in his entirety And if we're going to say God is all powerful, all knowing, and that nothing gets past God and that God is truly Alpha and Omega and reigns supreme, we have to accept the good and the bad. The fact that God can declare and do whatever God wants to do. Look at what Isaiah 45 verses 6 and 7 says. It says from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting. People may know there is none besides me. Me is God. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Let me read that last part one more time. It says, I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these These things. Brothers and sisters, when we worship God, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the truth is, God can take our dark situation, God can take the confusion and all that's going on with our political leaders and use it for His good. Sometimes it can seem so dark with despair with all the people that are dying around us, all the people that are getting sick. We're getting one form of communication from the president, another form of communication from the government, another form of communication from the mayor. And it just seems as though communication is coming and going from all over the place. Kind of seems very similar to the text. It's just a deceiving spirit just with people Coming up with information, you don't know what's right, what's wrong, what we should do, which way to turn. And it looks like evil is prevailing. But brothers and sisters, what God is showing us is that you aren't in control of anything that's going on here. That I am in complete control. Maybe you need an example. Let me tell you about Exodus 5. Exodus 5 is when Moses is going to Pharaoh and telling Pharaoh to let my people go. I was talking with Evangelist Hood about this. Because when people read this text, they don't understand the power of God in this text. The fact that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart on one end, but then giving Moses the power to create miracles to soften his heart. So as soon as Moses gets the power to have miracles to soften his heart, God comes back in and hardens his heart. And if you're a critical biblical scholar such as myself, you're looking at the text like, why is God playing both sides of the fence? Why would God harden Pharaoh's heart and then soften Pharaoh's heart with the miracles? Why wouldn't God just go and save the children of Israel Israel, or just stop everything that's going on in Egypt? Deacon Harris, I'm glad you asked. I know you're sitting at home asking that same question. And what I want to give you the answer to is by showing you that God uses that to show that he's in control. Let me give you a little bit of Egyptian mythology and Egyptian history. The reason why the text says he hardened Pharaoh's heart is because in Egyptian mythological religion, they believed that the Pharaoh was God. And when the Pharaoh died, the only way he could get to his heavenly afterlife is if his heart was lighter than a feather. So they would put the Pharaoh's heart. On a scale, and then they would put a feather on another scale. And if his heart was lighter than the feather, he could get to the prosperous eternal afterlife. But if his heart was heavier than the feather, it would be eaten by a crocodile, and then he would go down, his spirit would go down to the underworld to be condemned. And, brothers and sisters, what God is showing Pharaoh and the Israelites is that I reign supreme over any Pharaoh. I reign supreme over any political power. I reign supreme over any empire. I reign supreme and I have so much power that I can defeat you by your religion standards and I can also show my people, uh, which are called by my name as the text says, that I am supreme by playing with your emotions. All God is doing is playing with Pharaoh in the text and showing him that I'm in control here, that you are not in control. So brothers and sisters, when we see this in the text where God seems to be using evil spirits, negative spirits, and doing things of going back and forth and you're wondering, why would God do this? How could a loving and just God also send a death angel like what we read about in the text? How could a loving and just God send a lying spirit into his own prophet? What God is showing you is that you can't put me in any box. God is showing you is that you can't Try to hold me to any standards or any rules, which I already don't know and supersede. What God is showing you is that he reigns supreme over our expectations. He reigns supreme over our standards. And whatever rules or box we try to fit him in, he overcomes and supersedes. Brothers and sisters, I just want to end by letting you know that no matter what's going on in the world, don't get caught up in it. Don't be too frustrated by it. I know it's not easy. I know we want to get back to work. I know some some of us just want to get out and enjoy ourselves and have fun. And sometimes when we look at all that's going on in the world, it can be discouraging. When we look at the information we're getting from the president on one end, the governor on the other end, the mayor on the next end, the doctors, everybody is saying their own thing. And it can be so frustrating. And you begin to ask yourself, where is God in the midst of this? And brothers and sisters, I think God is showing out right now. God is showing out and letting us know no matter who you say your leaders are, no matter who you think is so powerful with all their knowledge. I am more powerful and I need you to submit to my will and I need you to submit to my process. Brothers and sisters, don't be deceived by the media. Don't be deceived by politics. Don't be deceived by the lies that they tell because they don't really care about us. They care about monetary gain, they care about preserving the economy, and they care about their constituents and keeping money in their pockets. And brothers and sisters, I honestly believe, and you can quote me on this, I think that God is taking this time to destroy all of these supreme powers of the empire that think they're untouchable. I think God is trying to show people that don't necessarily believe in him, that think that they can construct and move the world the way they want to do it and do things that they want to do in this world. I think God is trying to show them "Uh -uh -uh, I am in control and whatever standards you think that you ought to live by, whatever ways you think that this world should be run, I run them and I need you to be still and know that I am God. Brothers and sisters, I know you might be wondering, where is the hope in that if we can't hold God to a standard of not doing evil or not doing anything wrong? Or it just it discouraged me to know that God can can send a lying spirit or can also send a death angel and can do all these different things. No, that shouldn't discourage you. That shouldn't frustrate you. That shouldn't make you feel bad. You should actually be encouraged because what that shows us is that God has complete and absolute control in this world that means that god controls the good and god controls the bad that there is no evil that god can't overcome what i want to leave you with is this if you're still struggling with that idea and we'll probably do a bible study on this later if you notice the language that the text used when it talked about how the spirit came to god and then allowed himself to be used to be to put a deceptive spirit in the mouths of the prophets. If you notice, they paint this picture of God being in like a kingdom or being on the throne and he was in front of like uh, his cohorts or, or his subjects and they're coming to him seeking his approval. So brothers and sisters, if you're discouraged about this aspect of darkness here in the text, what it's really showing you is that no Nothing negative or nothing bad can happen in this world unless it first goes through God's desk. You see, back then they used languages of kings and queens and decrees and things of that nature. They didn't have CEOs, managers and supervisors and CFOs. They didn't use that language. But now we can rearticulate that and understand it from the standpoint of what God is doing is controlling this world by having a little department of evil. In which he dictates and mandates what it can do. Another department of good, another department of love, another department of happiness. And all these departments have to come to him and get his approval before anything happens in this world. And I think what we're seeing is a glimpse of darkness. As God shows us that sometimes in order for me to truly show you my love, I have to let you sit in this darkness so that you can understand the glory of my life brothers and sisters don't be discouraged during this time and definitely don't be deceived i want you to keep in mind that god is in control and i want you to keep in mind that you can continue to put your trust in him brothers and sisters keep in mind that you are the light of kindness and the darkness shall not overcome you if there's anyone at this time that's watching online that would like to have a deeper relationship with God, that would like to get to know God for themselves, this God that is all powerful and reigns supreme has complete control over the light and the darkness. You can comment under this video. You can go to our Facebook page at New Morning Light. You can go to our website at newmorninglight.org. You can also subscribe to us on um, YouTube and submit a comment there, or you can send me an email at Reverend Charles at NewMorningLight.org, We're serious here about your relationship with God. We're serious here about you giving your life to Christ. If you've been running around in the world for a long time and you're tired of that lifestyle and you would like to have a deeper and meaningful life because you're tired of the Lord showing you what life is like without him, come and see what life is like with the Savior. Come and see what life is like. Stop being deceived by false things of the world. Once again, I'm Pastor Charles Hamilton. Thank you for tuning in. Be blessed and have a great week. God bless you. you. I'm Pastor Charles Hamilton. And on behalf of New Morning Light Baptist Church, I want to thank you for tuning in to our online worship. I thank you for being diligent, and I thank you for being patient with us as we explore different and creative ways to bring you the Word of God. I just want to remind you, there are four ways in which you can give. You can do the text to give at the number displayed at the bottom of the screen. You can also give through Easy Tide, or you can give through Facebook, our New Morning Light Facebook page, or the New Morning Light website. Once again, thank you all so very much for tuning in to our worship experience, and I just want to say God bless you, and I love you. And keep watching for what God is doing during this trying time. Amen.